everybody. Welcome to another episode of Megachine, your podcast. For all geeky and gay things um, coming from a Black geek perspective, I am Victor and Nick is still traveling for work. He is all across the country, literally all across the country. Um, I think he is in Nebraska right now and I am very curious to know what is, what's going on in Nebraska. Um, but today we have very, very, very special guests, people who have been making moves inside of the world that we all love. And they have been really, really just shaking things up. And I want to introduce them to you. First, we have Tanya DePass. And, and Tanya, Tanya is just basically the all mother of so many things right now. She has created um, Into the Motherlands, which we'll be talking about a little bit today. Also, uh, behind, she's also behind, uh, I can't even talk today, also behind um, We Need Diverse Games and that entire initiative, um, a, a Twitch partner, as well as someone who you can always find in, in circuit when it comes to conventions, talking about diversity, inclusion, and feminism. Um, so i like to welcome Tanya to the show. Hello. And next we have B. Dave Walters. B. Dave and I go way back. We actually did a a convention together. Uh, we talked about diversity and inclusion <laughs> in comics, um, but Dave is a creator, a writer, just all around showman, basically. Um, he has worked on comics like um, Dungeons and Dragons. He even created his own, his own comic, uh, which just did a big, huge thing here in, in Kickstarter. It was, I think it was Electropunk. And um, you can find him all over I'm on Twitch as well as, you know, doing, you know, Play the Vampire in L.A. by Night, I believe. Um, so I'm going to welcome you, Dave Walker. That is true. It and me. Hello. And it is true. We, like, back to 09. Very, very first panel. Very, very first uh, con. So started from the bottom. Now we're here, Victor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So today, I have these two special people on here because they have really been a part of a world that um, that is very big within you know the whole geekdom and if you're not familiar with role-playing games um, you should be because this is something that's been a part of our community for so long and while in a lot of ways we don't always hear about uh, people of color involved these two have really made sure that um, it is open it is honest it is um, available to us to be a part of this and they have really, really been a big part of the whole gaming community. And I just wanted to know, as we get into this conversation, what got y'all into gaming? What was the, what brought you in and kept you in this world? I like how Dave was just like, you, you talk first. Um, <laughs> for me, you know, I, I got into first edition d and I'm, I'm older than D&D years old. And for me, it was a way to kind of flex my imagination in a way that video games couldn't because you know with a video game especially back then when it was mostly going to the arcade and and all the other games that we had you had your sandbox now as far as you could go but with an rpg as long as i can make it happen in the game and the gm's okay with it you can do whatever you want in a tabletop rpg it's all about flexing your imagination and so you know survived satanic panic and my having to lie to my mom about going to play dnd you know arcades and finally home systems were a thing when i was a teenager and, uh, you know, just it was something to, to flex those creative muscles. And I never looked back. Yeah. Um, 
And I always want you to go first because not only am I showing respect to a lady, I know I'll suck up all the oxygen and just keep rambling. So, so <laughs> no, um, I'll just I'll just start giving you that uh that gif of like where it's like Judge Judy and it's like <laughs> you know what's funny like when when I go places that are like buffets or I mean in the before times buffets aren't a thing anymore but like potlucks like I always made sure everybody went before me so then I could just show out how I wanted and I feel guilty so it's it's the same same principle same principle um I've been playing um since I was 13 so that again has been a number of years um I also came up through the satanic panic all that time. I also remember, you know, believing, you know, ooh, was this some evil thing, uh, which kind of backfired. I feel like that probably created more players <laughs> than it stopped because they got to do something rebellious um, when really it was a harmless game. It was like saying, you know, Monopoly is of the devil. Um, yeah, and it, it was just uh, uh, an opportunity to get to live the stories, which is how I explain it to people now who aren't familiar with with role-playing games. I'm just like, what's your favorite TV show? What's your favorite movie? How would you like to live it? You know, uh, and that's what it is. And it's something I always did. Um, even when I got into video games, got hardcore into martial arts, everything else, you know, I would always come back to this. And just in recent years, there's been this renaissance of not only did it come into the the public awareness and, and actually become cool, which I really believe was on the heels of the, of the MCU renaissance, kind of making all things geek okay to admit that you love, um, there became an opportunity to essentially do it like professionally at a high level. And I was just very lucky to, to uh, get to have some of the opportunities that I've had and don't get me wrong, I've worked my ass off to make the most of those opportunities. But uh, yeah, it's been a, a very fortunate confluence of of, of good luck and in, in applied effort. And you have worked a lot. Both of y'all have worked a lot to make sure that um, where you are today, you know, is, is just, I believe, it's very amazing. So I think y'all have done a lot of great work and it's really impressive to know about. Um, I am very curious, what was the first role-playing game each of you played? For me, it was a, an unusual answer, which was Rifts, uh, which for OGs, um, Rifts was put out by Palladium Games, it's a post-apocalyptic game, and it was notorious because it had very, very terrible power creep. Like in everything, when a book came out, it was all way more powerful than everything in the book before, like always. Like, you know, book one is robin book two is bad girl book three is batman book four is superman book five is doomsday like you know like it just very much stacked and got out of hand very quickly and it was uh after i got into that was why another friend of mine like brought me over to to D, &D. um and my very first character was an elven fighter mage thief who was based on vampire hunter d from the from the anime uh <laughs> and um yeah never looked back i i, I very quickly outgrew riffs never outgrew DD, &D. and it come to love a lot of other games uh, along the way but yeah that, that was it for me um i want to say DD, &D, but i also have very clear memories of playing and i can't remember the name of the game but it was it was post-apocalyptic like la or vegas and it was it was kind of cyberpunky but it was also you know you made up your character and all i remember is the guy I was dating at the time, his character owed all these people money. And then he went out one day and got got. And then I I kept his stuff 
because like we were we all lived in like you know busy tenement housing the equivalent of what was left and uh it was like it was underground underworld it was under something but it was just like a weird game where it wasn't D. and then i was like this is the way we were playing it was like everybody was trying to min max and be the most powerful and it wasn't fun so i was like deuces i'm going to roll some d20s I will tell you one other story, though, is I actually my first exposure to role playing games was way before that. Uh, I think I was eight and it was my birthday and my mom took me to the hobby shop to get a gift for my birthday. And I saw Ninjas and Super Spies, which is a a classic um, RPG, also by the same people that made riffs, actually Palladium Games. And on the cover, there is a picture of a ninja kicking a dude that is shooting at him with a laser as this, like, war is going on behind them. So, of course, instantly sold. Bought that, brought it home, opened it up, and I saw these numbers and charts. And I was like, oh, this is a computer game because I had no point of reference. And so we actually took it and returned it, and I bought a model of the Enterprise from Star Trek The Next Generation instead. (laughs) Years later, I did buy Ninjas and Super Spies. It was like, oh, 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 yeah. I had had an early near miss there. <laughs> yeah, but Whomst Among Us has not also played some GURPS. Whomst, indeed. <laughs> Natalia, you created and you oversee the, the need for diverse games, um, which is a not-for-profit organization. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and what kind of got you or what really pushed you out there to like, we need to have this out here. We need to have this. Uh, so I Need Diverse Games came out of me being mad about video games before work one day in October 2014. There was no grand plan. There was nothing. I was just mad about video games. <laughs> and through some tweets out there, a friend of mine, Mickey Kendall Carnethia, who's always had a, a much higher Twitter presence, shared it out. And then other people started sharing it and some game devs picked it up um, because, you know, the, the diversity conversation was kind of going on the same already. And I, and, and it's not like, you know, I'm not, I never want to be credited with bringing it up because it's cyclical, you know, it, it, it's coming up again. Now it's like five, six years later, we're kind of back to it. Um, but, you know, it trended. And unfortunately the, the hate movement known by the letters GG was also happening and so I wasn't thinking about them. I was just like, I want to be black in a video game, not have to be a big thing. Hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people saw that. They saw it as a threat. So they talked about it on, on their dark corner of Reddit or wherever they are. And bef- between that 6 a.m.-ish tweet and getting to work, it was trending and it stayed trending and people wanted to keep talking about it. You know, people picked up and I started doing podcast interviews and it just turned into a revival of the diversity conversation in video games. And then, you know, it, I made a blog for it. it. It basically became its own second job out of what I was doing anyway. And then December 2015, I lost my day job. And I was like, well, I've been thinking about doing this full time. This is the universe forcing me to do it all at once. And so I said, I'm going to give it to unemployment runs out. If I can't make this work, I try it. Because ideas are great, but they don't pay your bills. And uh, and the reaction was surprising. People were like, yeah, let's let's support it. We believe in your mission. And then uh, later the next year became a, a organization, like an actual body of an organization. 
and just been kind of riding the wave ever since. It was very much lightning in a bottle. I was angry at the right moment about the right thing and the right time and the right people saw it. I am I am the most accidental activist you will ever meet in your life. <laughs> yeah, but that's how you come about it, honestly. It's funny yeah. that, you, that <laughs> you mentioned that because that was why uh, I went pro. Um, I was participating in these communities. I was doing the, the panels and, and stuff. And um, some friends of mine, uh, I'd introduce uh, Damien Poitier and Jason Charles Miller, both got in over at Geek and Sundry and started doing a stream at Geek and Sundry when I was still working a day job. And I'm not going to lie, in the back of my mind, I did have some low-level saltiness. And I was like, y'all only know each other because of me. Like, what? What? Like, what? And But I mean... <laughs> They were on during my work hours. I kind of, I, I, I put it, I put it away, but you know, I'm not gonna lie in my hard box. There was a little bit of griminess. Like a little block of cold there, you know? And, um, uh, Damien hit me up to, uh, to, to shoot a pilot for ask your black geek friend. He called me on Wednesday. We shot it on Saturday. Geek and sundry said they wanted it on Monday, but because of the, a bunch just every possible production delay we didn't go up till like august but we were doing ask your black geek friend while i was still working day job too and my whole department got laid off and i was still actively looking for another day job while like more stream opportunities came along and it just kind of started compounding and i just looked up one day and i was like oh i don't i don't need a day job oh cool you know like it because i'm very much of the don't let go of one branch till you grab a hold of the next one, school of thought, you know, but I, the, the universe kind of had to shoo me out of the nest because I don't know that there ever would have been a time that I just would have been like, okay, I quit because I'm going to go do this other thing. You know, <laughs> just Right, because, yeah. you know, while it was dope to, to think about doing that, I'm like, I like having insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like having a roof over my head. Yeah, rent yeah. is nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So mm -hmm. you're in L.A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Exactly. Wow. Um, and I'm glad y'all mentioned that because I know a lot of us, that is a dilemma for us. When we think about, I really want to do this. I want to do, you know, create comics or create games or do these type of things full time. And it's, it's scary. It's really scary. And you're talking about the universe kind of pushed you out there. Mm -hmm. What kept y'all going doing this? Because I get Sorry, I, I didn't mean to step on your oh, no, question no, no, there. No. I, I give everybody the same speech. There is only one thing that every human being is equal in. Uh, we are not all the same sizes. We're not all the same shapes, not equal intelligence, strengths, capabilities. There's only one common thread through the human race, and that is time. We all have 168 hours in a week, and there is time for everything if you manage it right. Maybe not a day, maybe not even in a week, but over two weeks, over a month, you can get it all in if you are diligent about it. And I hear all the time people are like, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Just replace the words I don't have time with it's not important to me. And if you can say it's not important to me to go to the gym. And if you can say that and it doesn't like, huh, you know, I'm like, well, shit, maybe it's not, you know, <laughs> like it's it's not important to me to get up and run every morning. Like, I mean, maybe it isn't, you know, um, and so uh you know the you, you might have to go do your day job and then realize when you come home spend some time with your family walk your dog decompress or whatever but you know six to ten six to midnight that's gonna be when you grind uh because 
the opportunities will present themselves if you are conscious of it. I, I mentioned setting foot in the geek and sundry for Ask Your Black Geek Friend, but I knew very clearly what my plan was and what was going to happen. I was like, when I set foot in the place, I was like, as long as I know, I want everybody to know that I'm going to be easy to work with. I will always show up on time and prepared and I will always give it my best. And if I do those three things, I will never I will never lack for work. And that has proven to be true. So as you were saying, you know, how do you keep going? You have to enjoy the process. You cannot be overly concerned with the end result because the end result is largely out of your hands. Uh, you know, the mob is fickle. Art is subjective. You know, everybody's got the stories of I got, you know, 25 rejection slips before my book came out and is now number one. You know, I, I was so many doors closed before somebody finally produced my screenplay and now it's number one. So you can't be intimidated by those no's. You can only become a student of your craft Try and be objective, try and get better, because when you start, you will be terrible. Everyone is and try and consistently improve while you can have a destination in mind, but you have to enjoy the process or you will not make it. This is going to sound terrible, but for a lot of things that I kept doing was out of spite. <laughs> I, <makes> powerful. <laughs> it does. I actually gave a talk about it at a uh, queer games conference in oh 2018 it was a micro talk about the power of spite because i'm one of those people if you the more you tell me i can't do a thing the more i'm gonna do it so the more the hate bros tried to pile on and be like oh nobody cares about this you're just you're you're a race baiter or whatever and it's like but stats will show you that we do want these things we do want to see ourselves in these games that all these other things that happen are because we need this representation. So about 80% altruism, 20% spite, because I, I'm, I'm just ornery and people just realize this. <laughs> if you tell me you can't do something, if I unless it's a physical limitation, I'm gonna do it just to prove you wrong. I mean, the sign behind me, I got to speak at the Smithsonian because of the power of spite. Mm -hmm. Not that the audience will see the sign, but <laughs> I got to give a keynote address at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Wow. Wow. I, I, I didn't know that. I thought I knew most of the things you've been able to do, but I didn't know that. But that's good. Nope. It was Sam Arcade uh, every year. Well, when there's not a panini, mm -hmm. um, Smithsonian American Art Museum does an arcade event and everyone comes, they set up their their games like in that courtyard foyer area and then there's keynote address um and one of my friends actually was presenting her game there so i got to see a friend i hadn't seen in years because she moved across the sea so or the ocean i'm bad at geography don't yell at me <laughs> um but yeah i did that in 2018 2019 it had to be 2019 you know i've i've been in a museum i've been part of a museum exhibit these are all things that you're not handed those opportunities. You know, like Dave mentioned how hard he worked because people think like, oh, well, you make a, a living off of causing outrage. I'm like, I'm not the one getting on people's Facebook, calling them all kind of names and, and saying that nobody cares about the opinion. Well, clearly somebody did. Look at this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I'm very 
I would love to hear y'all opinion on this because I know I hear this a lot about how things are better now. What's the big deal? Why are y'all still fighting for this? And people, you know, are claiming that it's so much better now for POC and queer people in the gaming world. Is that true? And do or do we still have a long way to go? Um, if if that was true, people wouldn't people wouldn't soak up motherlands the way they did. Mm-hmm. If that was true, people wouldn't only be able to name like one or two shows with an all POC cast if that was true. You know, a lot of times people will will tag Rivals of War Deep. It's like, well, I want Critical Role, but I want it Black, or I want people, I can't find Black people play D&D. And it's like, our show's been on 10, se- 10 seasons. Where have you all been? No one's hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if things were so much better, we wouldn't need to do a specifically very Black-focused game and have the reaction that we do. I mean, look at the way people have responded to the Kickstarter, to the show, mm. to everything else. If nobody cared, it was better. We'd be just another fish in, in the sea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I do think it's better. It's better. You know, my, my career is living proof that it's better. Uh, but I always think about one of my favorite quotes from Malcolm X. Is that if I stab you in the back six inches and then I pull the knife out three inches, that's not progress. You know, um, I think that the, the simple answer, even though it seems like a bit of a cop out, I mean, it is, is both. Uh, it is improved and we do have further to go. You know, um, having Nichelle Nichols on Star Trek was progress. Having Avery Brooks eventually as a captain was progress. You know, the fact that they started him as a commander was shade in the first place. But, you know, but that, that was progress, you know, um, and it's incremental. And and I think a lot of these big brands like, you know, both Tanya and I both do a lot of work with uh, Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes Dungeons and Dragons owned by Hasbro. Um, it's a 50 year behemoth and it takes time to turn that ship, you know. Uh, and they're trying to the best of their ability. What's great for us is we live in a time where we're able to tell our own stories like you did with Strange Lore. Shout out to Strange Lore, Victor's graphic novel, which it'd be gauche if he were to hype, but you should download it. You should buy it and read it, you know, definitely buy it. Secondarily, read it. Pay for it, though. Um, we're in a time where we can tell our stories. Uh, in the way that we want them to be told. And, you know, w- with Motherlands, is one of the things that came up multiple times in talking to the contributors is, you know, create the story that 10-year-old you needed. Mm. You know, cre- create what, what you needed to see that what would have been formative, that can present your background and your heritage and your culture in a way that you're proud of now so those other little kids can have that to aspire towards. Um, because that's that's all... That's the real power of diversity and inclusion, in my mind, is storytelling is what makes us human. Everything we do, some other animal does. And in the fullness of time, when we completely understand what crows and dolphins and whales are saying to each other, they might be telling stories too. But as of now, we're the only ones that have that, that I can sit down and mention Malcolm X in that analogy, and we can all derive wisdom from that directly. Like, oh, I understand. And when it comes to storytelling, everyone needs to see themselves reflected in their chosen media, both as hero and villain, as something to aspire to and to turn away from. Um, you know, like, I, I, I don't agree with, um, like, I have a friend of mine who's black and won't take any role where 
they play uh, a, a gang member. They're just like, I just flatly refuse to be portrayed like that in the media. And I'm like, I hear you, but maybe there's still a valid story to tell there. Maybe there's some reason, you know, I'm like, what, what's the nuance? You know, like, I mean, I enjoyed colors, you know, like, I mean, you can still, there might be a way to make a statement there that is still worth telling up to and including showing people of color as competent villains. Like you, you mentioned uh, uh, me playing vampire. Um, my character in Vampire the Masquerade is a, he, he is a member of a, a clan because they have little groups of vampires and he's Clan Ventru, which are the business vampires, you know, which traditionally, even in a completely fictitious world, were portrayed as old white males, usually. And I knew I want, I love Clan Ventru and I wanted to portray that, but I was absolutely adamant that my character had made his money not from crime but from being a competent businessman. And that was his background. Cause I wanted to start from the very beginning that people have all these preconceived notions. And then they're like, Oh, well, okay. If there's a black business vampire, it's drugs. And I'm like, it isn't at all. <laughs> like at all, at all. I mean, over the course of the narrative, he's done a good bit of crime now, but he's done crime as a vampire, not as a black dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about that because I know, you know, vampire masquerade has been around for a very long time. Um, and I appreciate the role that you play because yeah, that is a principle to your character and, and more than what will be given if someone else is like, oh, he has to be like this. And also I'm glad you mentioned about, you know, vampires in general, because I've always struggled with the fact that white, you know, when we see vampires, they're mostly white. And I'm always like, really? Because I feel like if they were back at the beginning, they started with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Shout out to Queen of the Damned. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a TV show that actually, I'm not going to say the name of the show, but the show had it where they were basically, it started with Vikings or basically started with white people. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. The story took place in New Orleans. I was like, yeah. Yeah. We all know what the, we all know what that show was. <laughs> okay, yeah, like right. like oh gee, I wonder. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you know, it, it, a lot of that. Then you get the the othering of people of color in those things, where then you know we're the exotic alternative. You know, like a, ooh ah, you know, the painted yeah. man. You know, and it's like ah, you know, come on, y'all. I mean, the the world. The world, since oceanic travel became a possibility, has been way more diverse and mixed from the beginning than people think. You know, um, the the you know when you see accurate portrayals of Rome and even England, there was all kinds of people around all the time. Once these places were people became aware, once the Silk Road became a thing. We've been a melting pot for centuries. Uh, it is this Eurocentric myth that 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 necessitates this. Then this is the the flaw with the concept of you know Western exceptionalism, which is the underpinning of Western imperialism. Is that we right now are the absolute greatest people that have ever existed ever, and as such, everyone before now must have been inferior. In in a subsection of that is every accomplishment of every other group must be downplayed because our ancestors had to be better than your ancestors, but we've still got to be better than our ancestors too, you know. Um, 
And that's just that's just not true. It very quickly collapses under, you know, um, uh, scrutiny and observation. Yeah, very true. Um, now, I want to get into into the motherlands because this I remember when I saw, you know, the, the Twitter page, the, the Twitter handle, saw y'all talking about it. And then I saw the Kickstarter and this in 90 minutes, <laughs> I was like in 90 minutes, really? Um, not to say like I was, I was surprised because I did not realize how fast this was going to go. I knew it was going to be successful, but I did not, I mean, 90 minutes. I mean, same, you know, like I, I've been fortunate. This is my fourth um, crowdfunding project that I've that I've quarterbacked in every time you're nervous because you don't know, you know, um, Electropunk funded. We were very grateful for that. But, you know, I think Electropunk funded like day 27 or something. You know what I mean? Um, there's a reason why you, it, it takes 30 days to, to go. So there's always a nail biting component of you. You hope you're going to hit a certain number and then you wish that you're going to hit some much higher number, you know? Um, and so to see just, just to have it all happen so quickly like that was a giant load off of, you know, we knew very early that we were going to get to do our thing. And then it became a question of scale and still is a question of scale. I mean, as of the time of this recording, we're just, just under $250,000, uh, with right around a little under two weeks left to go, you know? So it's uh the n nowhere to go but up in in into Tanya's previous point it is because it's a combination of things yes we have created uh a sandbox that people want to play in a, a world that people feel like they want to get lost in uh but the individual contributors have a track record you know of 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 delivering you know um and i think by those powers combined um you you're seeing the results and Tanya, you created this. <laughs> how, I mean, your mind, your mind, how did you put this together and how did you get the people you needed to make this a success? Um, well, well, I didn't do it alone because, you know, Dave needs to take credit for what he did mm -hmm. um, and the whole team because, you know, I don't think there's any one person who could do create an RPG entirely on their own. So, you know, credit to the team and everything else, because trust me, if this was me trying to do this all by myself, we wouldn't have no book, we wouldn't have no show, I just know my limitations. Um, but I've already been in talks with Twitch about trying to pitch some other ideas, and when they came back with, why don't you try to tell your own story, I was like, okay, sure, why not? Because <laughs> I'd always wanted to be a novelist and a writer, just that never happened, that was not, wasn't how life played out. And um, and so I, I went back to everybody I reached out to and said, hey, here's the deal. This is what Twitch wants to do. You know, what is it? What role do you want to play? Are you available? And then for, you know, kind of how everything broke down for folks that they want to be on-screen talent. I was like, so, you know, this is now where we heard cats. And if you've ever played RPG and you try to get people together consistently, it's like what night or day or whatever works. Because I think everyone on the show doesn't like they don't none of us have like quote unquote regular nine to fives but people stream they do other stuff they got other obligations and um but before we even kind of corralled folks into their roles 
Dave and I sat down we're like, okay, well, here's the date that we need to finish this by the Twitch said we have to deliver our hours of content and going backward from today. We're like, Oh, that, that, that's not a lot of time. Well, shit. (laughs) And, uh, and I initially had the idea of, you know, well, one, we knew we wanted no colonialism, no background slavery, just, you know, legally distinct, this will be our Wakanda. And then my idea initially was black folks now said deuces, we're out and leave earth. And Dave was like, but we already have that background. We have already been affected by colonialism and slavery. So we had to go kind of way back and he's the history student because I barely made it through history in, in school. Um, I was like, what about Mansa Musa? I was like, sure, as I go to Google who the fuck Mansa Musa is. And uh, we went from there and, you know, we came up with the world. <laughs> what? Yeah, <I> just, <laughs> what? Yeah, like I had to go Google who the fuck it was. <laughs> well, I was trying to like be all like, mm-hmm. Don't, don't mind the typing noises. I'm taking notes. Um, but yeah, but it worked out. And, you know, we we just hit on a great combination of talent, of writers, of, of on-screen presence that was able to tell the story that we put together. And for the stream, it was like, we need enough to start telling the story. And then once we knew we were going to do the book, it's like, okay, we need to for real start what does each culture look like? What does each profession look like? What's their background? And not the 40, 50,000 word lore, but some people like to do. It's like, no, we need just enough to be able to give people a story. They can get the rest of that shit in the book. It, it, um, it, it you plus one to all of that, obviously. Um, it was, uh, I think the it got real so quickly because once the deal was signed with Twitch and Tanya hit me up and I just pulled up the calendar and I'm like, well, okay, if X thing needs to be delivered by Y date, then that means it needs to start by this point, which means the game needs to be ready by this point. And we, we basically had like four to six weeks to get something playable um, ready. And um I had some connections with Cortex because I do so much work with D&D Beyond. Uh, Fandom owns the Cortex system. I knew they were trying to get Cortex off the ground. We didn't have time to create something from scratch, so I I hit up my friends over there. I was like, hey, you guys need a flagship show. We need a system while we hook this up. And uh, and it all came together very quickly. And it was good because my my background is actually marketing. My actual discipline is marketing. That's what I'm actually good at. All this is stuff I do for fun that I just get to do now. Um, And so I was familiar with the concept of growth hacking and just a minimum viable product. Like what's what's, what's the framework we need to get the game? And we came up with some ideas for the professions we had cultures not races we had professions not classes because we wanted to be very tonally distinct from D&D the game doesn't have an attribute system there's not things like strength and intelligence because those are some of the most problematic elements of of games currently in the sense that nine times out of ten the smarter wiser races are all in the good races are the fair and beautiful ones and you know the more powerful better fighters are usually you know the bigger dark-skinned swarthy ones usually there are of course exceptions in any correlation between race and morality is always problematic that you are good because you were born like this or you are bad because you were born like this and so our system is based on skills and values what are you good at because you've consciously chosen to be uh, and what's important to you? 
you know, those, those are the, the frameworks of your character. And we came up with enough of the professions to give the, the players on the stream an idea of what they would be. And just ask them, you know, what's interesting? What 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 do you want to do? Um, all the way up to when Abria uh, Iyengar joined uh, this season, she and I went and got coffee, and I was just like, "What do you want to do? What do you want to be good at?" And built a new profession just for her. So it's been good in that sense that it's allowed us to just be so flexible. Of you want to do this, dope. We'll make it work. You know, you want to do that, dope. We'll make it work. Uh, there's been times on the stream that we wrote certain things and they said something else on the stream. And I'm like, well, that's that now, you know, <laughs> like, you know, erase, um, you know, when, when Eugenio, uh, Vargas was, was coming up with some of the element in, in Jasmine Bular were, um, coming up with some of the elements of, uh, the, the first season. Um, we knew that being on a spaceship, um, and going on a mission was going to be a big part of it. I was like, dope. I'll write space combat rules, you know, and it's grown very organically. Now we're at the point with the Kickstarter that we are growing it out to like a full fledged three dimensional living, breathing, uh, project that, uh, will be able to stand on its own for all time and hopefully be the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the start of a, of a, of a whole new, uh, franchise that, that lives and exists, you know? Yeah. Because I, I, I just think it's amazing, but you know, also a little sad that we don't have more, you know, POC led, you know, initiatives like this, or if we just don't see a lot more of these games available to everybody else, everybody can play a role. And you mentioned um, Critical Role. I always see that posted. For some strange reason, I see it all the time. And I looked at it, I was like, okay, that's cute. But, you know, where where are we? And, you know, how can we get involved in these type of things? Do you think that um, as you continue with Into the Motherlands, that it could maybe spit off into something else or it could just get bigger and bigger and bigger? Do you see it as something like a movie in the future? What do y'all kind of see with this going as we move forward with this with this initiative? I mean, personally, I see it going all the way up. You know, I mean, we we could do anything. Hollywood is is hungry for IPs, so comics, TV, movies, games, you know, anything. There's there, there's there's no reason to 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 not shoot for the moon, in my opinion. I mean, I can see it going there too, but, um, you know, to be, to be that person, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, why isn't there like people suggest stuff like an animated, like short for, for a stretch goal. And I was like, y'all got animated short money <laughs> and you know, all the, like it's right. But it's, it's, and it's great to have these pie in the sky ideas, but unfortunately I'm going to always be that person comes back and goes, okay, that's great. Where's the money to make it happen? Because so many people, they want all this stuff and they don't think about the time work and effort that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So if we get to a point where we can all quit basically whatever else we're doing and have this be our day job, great. But let's also keep it a book is that this is a show with all black and brown people. This is an IP with all black and brown people, mm -hmm. which is why, you know, Dave was like, oh yeah, we did it. I knew we we're going to fun real quick. And I'm sitting here like, Ooh, I'm glad we hit that at least 50,000 because we've all seen Kickstarters fun created by black folks and brown folks where they struggle, they barely limp across the finish line and they don't do the kind of numbers that, you know, knock on wood, we're doing and keep doing, you know, do people want more of the show? Do people want like more and more of this? 
And do we ever get to that point? And it's like, cool, we need the community then to go, yes, we want more. And yes, we'll, we'll show that by either showing up or, you know, just being very loud about what it is they want out of it. Cause people can say whatever they want. And we had this discussion about a, about an item we were thinking about doing as an add-on where a lot of people can say they want all this extra stuff, all the, like, yes, I, I would love a animated series. Y'all going to watch it. Who's going to buy it. We got distribution rights money, let alone the hundreds of thousands of dollars to make an animated short. So I'm like, y'all got money on the table. Cool. Let's talk about it. Dave's like, you're, you're being that person. <laughs> hey, zone of safety, zone of safety. You know, we, we're everybody's, we, this, this, this is how, how we're coming at it. It's no problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I think the important thing with anything, uh, like with anything else is to grow incremental incrementally and grow strategically uh like to to tanya's point about the the kickstarter it is very easy to completely bury yourself in a lot of extraneous things and a lot of physical deliverables and things like we've already got more physical deliverables than i would have liked but that was what people wanted you know dice move the needle plushies move the needle minis and terrain move the needle like oh okay you know but i mean you can get hung up uh, you know, making making mugs in in t-shirts, in coasters, in 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 run yourself ragged and spend up all your money on stuff that doesn't actually contribute. So that's why most we've unlocked eight stretch goals as of now. We're closing in on the ninth one, um, and almost all of them are contributing to making a superior product. You know, more content in the book. Uh, most of the other additional stuff is all add-ons. Like if you want enamel pins, God bless you, buy them, you know, but we're not going right. to like be on the hook <laughs> to give them to everybody when a lot of people won't care either way. Yeah. Right. And and that's the part where I think people, whether it's our Kickstarter, any other Kickstarter, when people see all these physical things and, and it'll be like, oh, at like 400,000, we'll give everybody like a gold pressed pin or some bullshit. So you've just blown all your extra money mm-hmm. on giving how many thousands of backers you now have a thing they may or may not even want because, you know, like, luckily we've got an international audience. So they already get saddled with like extra fees, extra taxes, more shipping. And I'm like, this way, whoever has bought that Bertrand plushie or that set of pins, they bought it because they want it. Not because we're like, we're just going to send you a whole basket full of shit that you may or may not want. <laughs> well, that makes sense. And I think that people should keep that in mind when they do a Kickstarter. I know when I was doing one, I was keeping it at the minimum of, of things because I had people ask about t-shirts and pins. I was like, that's cute, but that also costs. And yep. you still got to talk about shipping. So yep. you know, I'm glad y'all mentioned that because I think people do get so caught up in like, the mugs, the t-shirts, and I've seen some of it, some of it works. And sometimes I'm like, is that, that's a lot. Um, but yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, and that's, that's the best way, you know, when it comes to, to planning these things out, which is um, always a, a potential challenge is you got to ask yourself again, it's what, what do you really need to deliver? Um, what, what's the, what's the minimum you need to deliver accounting for the fact that Kickstarter is going to take a fee, credit card processing is going to take a fee, 
taxes account for your taxes because uncle sam will come calling i'm living that now i had a good year last year and now you know gotta render unto caesar you know um and then and then go from there because it's better if you can and that's actually why kickstarter's all or nothing some pro uh, like indiegogo doesn't have to be all or nothing but that's better for different projects when we did electropunk we chose kickstarter because the whole point is if you need thirty thousand dollars to deliver and you make twenty thousand, you're gonna have a lot of people that spent their money on good faith, and you still can't deliver, which is a recipe just for everybody to be mad. Versus for my documentary on Indiegogo, I knew there was a very sliding scale of the kind of content I could create and deliver. Uh, so I was more comfortable being like, well, as long as we get over this much, it'll be fine. But if we go here, this is really kind of you know pie in the sky ideal. Um, so it's better to, you know, set the minimum, hit it, and now you got some hype into the stretch goals than to try and shoot for this big thing. And then, you know, even if you set it for 100 and you make 90, you know, you will get zero <laughs> when you might have been able to do it with 50. Yeah. Wow. Again, this is good stuff to know. This is very good stuff to know. Mm. Uh, so when it comes to Into the Motherlands, um, and we think about, you know, having played a role as a have. If someone wants to buy this or get a part or learn more about this, how do they get into role-playing games? How do they just say, like, I'm going to start? How do they start getting into it? And what's the best way or is it a best way to really kind of understand what you're about to get into, if that makes sense? Um, I don't know if there's any one best way because that all is going to depend on what you want out of role-playing games. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're someone that wants a deeply narrative story and you get a DM or GM who is all about, let's go in this dungeon and kill everything on site, you're never going to have a good group. So you need to sit down and figure out, do I want to tell a story? Do I want to go just dungeon crawl? Like, what is it I'm looking for? And then, you know, and the other thing is, any stream show you watch, anything you've seen about it, don't try to be that DM. Don't try to be that player. Because you know, like everybody talks about Critical Role and they're never as good as Matt Mercer. Matt himself has said, stop doing that. Mm -hmm. I am not the best DM out there. But also, this is a highly produced show with professional voice actors. Mm -hmm. So none of us are ever going to have that same thing. But also Critical Role is what it is. Rob's Wardeep is what it is. Motherlands is what it is. Um, you know, LA by night is, is what it is. You're never going to replicate what anyone else has done. So just let that go. Um, and then find someone who's experienced as a DM and just sit down and go, this is what I want. You know, make sure that their play style matches what you want as a player and always have a session zero, which is sitting down, going over what you will, what you're okay with the table, what you're absolutely not okay with. Um, you know, using safety tools, we, we talk about the X card, um, so basically like if it's a stream game or even a, a remote game, cause people still are in the Panini, you know, using a red X to go, nope, not okay with this time to go. And also just realizing the end of the day, you're supposed to be having fun with it. You know, if you're sitting around with your buddies or you're on your computer at home, nobody's judging you for not knowing every single rule. Um, we get it with black dice society. People want to sit there in backseat everything they're like oh well that's not how that works yada yada and i'm like one the book has changed it's a new edition of ravenloft and for two you're not the ones on the screen on official show so how about you stop talking 
Yeah, man, it's like that uh, Venus Williams just had that interview a few days ago where they were like, people say we're sore winners. Well, beat us and show us how it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, I I agree with all that. I mean, the the easiest way is if you find a friend that knows what 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 they're talking about, because it can be overwhelming to just pick up a book and try and figure it out. I mean, it can be done. I mean, they're ostensibly theoretically written for that. But I mean. I know our viewers can't see this, but, you know, here's the vampire book. It's a big old chunky thing, you know, to just pick up and be like, so what's this? Um, you know, the the streams can be good guideposts, but but Tanya's absolutely right. It, it's people watching. I'm like, you can't do what Matt Mercer does. You can't do what I do. You can't do what Brennan or Jasmine do. You really can't, but we can't do what you do. We can't tell your stories and the world needs your stories, you know? Um, yeah, just get some friends together, get a book, get some dice and, and fumble through it. Just have a good time. The rules are a guideline. They are not shackles. Um, and just tell your stories. And back to what, what I mentioned before, you know, do you want to live your favorite TV show or live your favorite movie? I mean, a lot of big franchises have licensed games, like literally, like you can play Star Trek, you can play Aliens, you can play Game of Thrones. Uh, But even if you don't have that exact thing, there's things that are kind of at least in the framework where you'll kind of understand the rules of the universe when you show up. You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to play a superhero game. I comprehend superheroes. You know, I'm going to play a Middle Earth game. I comprehend elves with bows, you know. And that'll make it a little easier, too. Uh, For my money, I do think the World of Darkness games tend to have a bit of a lower barrier of entry, like Werewolf, Vampire, Mage, Wraith, Changeling, those ones, because it's this world. It's the modern world. And so there's not a lot of heavy lore that you have to learn from the beginning. Like, you know, the 7-Eleven on the corner is there. The mall is there. You know, like the the mayor's office is there. But you're a vampire. You know, like now play the game, whereas some other things, um, even though I think people understand conceptually the concept of wizards and clerics and paladins, when you start talking about, oh, we're on the sewers of Waterdeep approaching Skullport, half of y'all listening were just like, what? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so that, that can be can be a little more challenging for some people. And you are a DM, and Tanya mentioned DM, which is a dungeon man- master. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what that is um, and how you really get into that particular role of a dungeon master? Sure. Um, well, if you'd like to see it, you can go on YouTube and Google <laughs> the Black Dice Society, where you can see yeah. me running the game and Tanya playing on Dungeons & Dragons, Twitch, and YouTube. Um, but he... When done properly, it is a collaborative art. Um, the To use a sports analogy, the, the DM is kind of like the quarterback. Uh, some people say the DM's like the director, but I don't. it's more akin to it because the quarterback is still in the field playing the game. They what, what basically ends up happening is everyone at the table is playing a character. You're playing a single role that you have created in advance in accordance with that game's rules, you know. I'm a business vampire, you know, or I'm I'm an I'm an elven archer, or I'm a I'm a uh, living through a mutant apocalypse in Vegas, and my boyfriend just got got. You know what I mean? Like you you've established within the rules of the world. That's your role. 
The dungeon master, the storyteller, the game master, these terms are all kind of interchangeable for different games, represents everything else. They're the world. They're the weather. They're the people you meet on the street. They're whether or not your car starts, whether or not your gun jams, you know, like those things. Some games get like very granular where there's rules for each one of those things. But for the most part, the dungeon master represents everything that is outside of your control. Um, and they paint the scene for you where like an example I'll always give is I'm like right now outside of your door you hear two quick pops and a thud <laughs> what would you like to do you know they're like I, I'll, I'll go open my door and take a look i'm like okay when, when you get outside you see the mailman slowly crawling towards the front door in a puddle of his own blood what do you want to do that's it you're in the game now like now now we're we're playing there it is you know like that's that's all there is to it Every, everything else is just a framework to facilitate that it's improv with rules but thank you for that one because i really helped uh, help me more understand what that really is and everything else but it is mm -hmm. a teller um so um the one thing i want to kind of end with with this this conversation is so as we are you know we are getting out of this pandemic finally we're getting out of the pipilon stocking and we're getting into more of a more of a normal back to normal maybe world um, what do you hope what do you really hope for people to do when it comes to um, gaming now because some people may think like oh well now I can do more things I can not really, you know, I can focus on being back out here, but what do you, what do you hope for people to, to get into when it comes to gaming um, and continuing doing gaming when we're back into the real world per se? Um, remember that, you know, even though we all were stuck inside and we had to be remote, mm -hmm. that now there's really no excuse to go, well, I can't find anybody in my area to play with. Because mm -hmm. some people go, well, there's nobody around me that plays D&D &D or whatever. And it's like, we have Zoom, we have Discord. You are not forced to only find a table to play at in the, in the I almost said in the real world, that's how bad the panini's gotten me. I'm like, you know, the, the outside is the real world. Um, but also try something new on, like, or if you took up more gaming during the pandemic, don't just set it aside because, oh, I'm vaccinated, I can go outside now. Because those relationships, those friendships you made, hopefully are strong enough to last with, okay, normally I'd be out with my boys or whatever on a Friday night, but we've now got this game going. We're in the middle of this like epic storyline and you don't just abandon all the work you put into whatever world you're creating just because the world's quote unquote going back to normal. Yeah. I mean, for us with, with our current stream, the Black Dice Society, we, um, I mean, even though we can start going back to the studios, like, I mean, just this month, I was back in the studio twice for the first time in a year. Half of the cast is scattered all over the country. Tanya's in Chicago, DJ's in Texas, Mark's in Canada. You know, the rest of us are here in L.A., so we're still going to roll like we rolled either way, you know. Um, I think, if, if anything, I, I would want people to realize that now, you know, 
out of necessity, so many friendships were actually rekindled. I've heard so many stories of like people from high school started playing a weekly game or had a weekly cocktail hour, you know, reconnecting with friends and loved ones, you know, don't let that go. You know, don't, don't, don't let that go. Stay in touch with people because I think what, what this, um, pandemic taught us since I couldn't think of a clever P word right then, um, is what really matters, you know, what you what you really missed. And and I, I saw a quote very early in it that said, just remember when you binge your favorite TV show for the fifth time and reread your favorite novel, just remember in our darkest hour, we turn to artists, you know, and, and we also turn to each other. I mean, human beings, I know some of us are introverts, but human beings are meant to be around each other. The cruelest punishment we can inflict on the worst members of our society is solitary confinement, mm. being by yourself. And I mean, if you think about it, that's a beautiful thought about all of the human race, that we need each other that bad, you know, um, in, in those connections. And um, yeah, don't, just don't, don't let it go. Even as you start getting back out, you can raise a cup together. You can do all those fun things. Wear a mask and wash your hands. Do not at me. I will make you look dumb in public, but it's true. You know, <laughs> keep taking care of yourself. The crisis isn't over. But yeah, you know, let, let the people that you love know that you love them. And, and don't stop just because, you know, happy hour is a thing again. And rush hour traffic is a thing again. And meetings about meetings are a thing again. Yeah, because especially right now, you don't know what could happen. Uh, you know, a friend of mine early on in the pandemic, buddy his was found, you know, passed away. And, you know, then you have something about, well, shit, when's the last time I talked to this person? Yep. Was our, what was our last conversation? You know, and a lot of us have lost people because of the pandemic or, or like, or something else was going on. And, but because of the situation, you couldn't travel to say goodbye, you know, and. Yep. And so many people I feel like are taking normal for granted and nothing is, should be, nothing should go back exactly the way it was because, you know, a lot of us just don't think about hopping on a plane, doing whatever, going to see our homies. But now it's like, you vaccinated, you're good. You got a mask on, you know, can I trust the people I'm around? If I go to something, can I trust that everybody's vaccinated? You know? My dad had a health crisis right in the middle of all of it while we were filming one day, actually, just like in the middle of the stream. I was like, uh, huh, you know, my phone just starts ringing off the hook, but with my sisters trying to get in touch with me and I'm like, well, I can do exactly nothing about that right then. And I mean, I talked to my dad regularly and in that exact moment, I still was thinking the last time he called, I didn't return my, return his call. That was what went through my mind right then. That I'm like, two days ago, I missed his call. I didn't call him back. You know, turns out. And now. Was, yeah, now. Exactly. I mean, turns out he was fine. It was a scary couple of days, but it's all good. It's behind us. But, you know, that's not tomorrow is not promised to any of us, you know. So, um, yeah, like I said, let the people that you love know you love them. That's very good advice. Um. So this was fun. I mean, I feel like I'm, we can talk forever. And I feel like the thing that y'all have been talking about and sharing is, has been very, very valuable, but also, you know, really comforting to hear, you know, just the things that y'all are doing and, and knowing that these are things that you really believe in and you really hope that people are really getting into and they already are. So I really appreciate all the work that y'all have been doing. 
Could you tell us where we can find you and also what else you, you know, you, you're working on? Um, I'm far too easily found online. Uh, <laughs> Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. Um, Wednesdays, you can find me on my channel with obviously Into the Motherlands. Um, we are about to do episode seven of 10 for the season. Uh, Thursday nights, I'm, I'm back in the mist with B-Dave. And, and all the horrors that he will inflict upon us. And <laughs> uh, I, I love how, even though none of you can see this, he just did like the chin hands, big <laughs> smile at me. <laughs> um, Sundays, uh, Rivals Wardy, we just started our 10th season. So we're on the road to 100. Um, and then um, not sure when this is going up, but when we're talking, I'm getting ready to go, go to New York. Um, I'm part of Tribeca's inaugural game jury, and uh, it's the first year they're bringing games to Tribeca, so I get to play video games for work once more and uh, see people I haven't seen in almost two years because of the pandemic. So everything's up in the air until I figure out what I'm doing in New York other than uh, plan things. And uh, yeah, but mostly Cypher online, and that's my name everywhere, except for coffee because... Somebody got my coffee account and I had to close it because coffee couldn't force them out. So two-factor authenticate everything, y'all. And, uh, oh, and next week, June 9th, my Rivals character arrives in Idol Champion. So I get to hang out with Freely, Dave's character. Hey, hey, we up in video games now. Hey. <laughs> it's true. Uh, B. Dave Walters, uh, I say words about things. You can find me all over the internet, wherever fine streaming content can be located. A uh, bunch of stuff coming up that I can't tell you about or I get shot with NDA bullets. Um, but uh, if you hear this in the next two weeks, please take a look at Into the Motherlands on Kickstarter. It's a labor of love. Uh, we, we appreciate your support and any and all signal, boot, signal boosts. Uh, I wrote the official Dungeons & Dragons comic, Dungeons & Dragons A Dark and Wish, film writer, screenwriter. I just do things. Also buy Strange Lore and read Strange Lore and also buy Strange Lore and then buy copies of it for your friends. Because, again... He won't say this, but it is an incredibly complex process to get a comic done. Uh, we're, you know, we're working on Electropunk. I did A Dark and Wish. It is difficult to write. It is difficult to get drawn, edited, lettered, inked, all these other processes that people don't know about and don't think go into it. It is a time-consuming and expensive process. And more importantly, it's hard to have the personal fortitude and resolve to see a project through to its conclusion. So there you go. Bye, Strange Lore. Very true. Um, especially now working on the second edition, it is very, very tough. Uh, but yes, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Uh, and you can find us on, you know, Megasheen, Megasheen. Um, we're on Twitter, we're on Twitch, we're on everything, basically. Find us there, Instagram, uh, Facebook. You find Nick on um, Twitter as well. Find me. Um, I'm also on Twitter way too much. I need to get off. Um, and yeah, so that is our show for this week. I really like to thank our guest, um, Tanya DePras and B. Dave Walters for joining us and to sharing so much wisdom and information with us. So again, thank y'all so much. And um, that is it for us. Stay black, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>